seated. Pastor Ed. Thank you. You know, one of the things that Blaise Pascal, he's that guy that lived in the 17th century, um, who um, invented the um, vacuum, actually. He was a brilliant uh, mathematician. But uh, he made the statement that, that habit is one of the most powerful things you can do for your faith. Get right kinds of habits. Of course, that. Anyway, the point is, is that I think this is a good habit for us to declare our belief. Um, there was a study that was done several years ago. Uh, Josh McDowell, some of you have heard of him, who he, he actually had a book entitled something about the end of faith or something. And he was talking about how in evangelical contexts, how um, kids that are being brought up in evangelical churches, that over 60% don't believe in the resurrection. And a number of other are classic issues that we are foundational to our faith. And some of us believe the reason for that is because we never talk about it. We never profess it. We never deal with it. Or, you know, mostly what's done in Sunday school, sad to say, is just David and Goliath, you know. And so the key issues of what we're addressing, what's, what the church believes are not articulated. I think it's important that we articulate. Some of you think, well, that's just rote. Man, this is one of the best things you can rote on your heart. <laughs> All right, Luke chapter 18 and uh, verse 8, there's a, a text that Jesus said, actually, it's, um, uh, it's the, really the, the Josh McDowell's um, book title. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Interesting statement. When the Son of Man comes, he's talking about when he returns again, will he find faith on the earth? I don't think that Jesus was just being rhetorical. I think that, that what he was saying is that faith is difficult in a world like ours. And that faith is only really faith in a context where faith is difficult. Because there's something about faith itself. Wait a minute, my phone is ringing. I don't know why. I should turn it off. I'm preaching, Greg. I'll have to call you back. (laughs) All right. Jesus never suggested that faith would be easy um, he always talked about how hard it is. And, uh, he, and that it was, in fact, he tried to talk people out of it. In Luke's gospel, chapter 14, uh, it talks about these large crowds that were traveling with Jesus. And he turned to them and said, oh, think of this. This is not how to win friends and influence people. He looks at them and says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother and his wife and his children and his brothers and his sisters, even his own life, you can't be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. This doesn't sound like the Jesus will make your life better speech that we hear so many times. I mean, basically what he's saying is I'm out to ruin your life. I'm out to change up stuff in you. I'm out to readdress your priorities. He's not really saying to hate in the sense of hating. He's he's talking about in comparison to your love for God, people uh, in comparison would look like hate, that you're to prioritize God first in your life. These are the kind of context that Jesus is teaching. But he said it in ways that disturbed them. How many of you found out in your Christian experience that sometimes when God really speaks to you, it's disturbing? He's messing with you. He's changing stuff up in your life. He's trying to address you. He's disciplining you. Discipline isn't always joyful. In fact, it's often grievous. And that's what discipline is, means is another word for discipling you. We're to be his disciples. And then he goes on. He says, you can't, anyone who, wants to, who does not carry his cross cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and figure out how much it's going to cost? Make sure he has enough money. For if he lays the foundation, isn't able to complete it, someone will, will ridicule him saying, this, this fellow began to build and wasn't able to finish it. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and really think this through? 
whether he's able to take with 10,000 men opposed to one that's coming against him with 20,000. And if he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other's still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. He's saying in the same way, you, you, any one of you, if you don't give up everything, you cannot be my disciple. But because it's everything, you had better sit down and think about this. This isn't necessarily supposed to just be reduced to a moment at an altar. Now, I'm not against that, but it's one of the reasons why we don't push for that. I mean, reality is we need to think about what real discipleship is before we jump in. And it's okay to be hesitant. Another place Jesus said, referring to the whole issue of faith, this is in Luke 9. He says, no one puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. What he's saying, it's better not even to start if you're going to dawdle. You need to, to think this through. There's some, there's some weighty issues here. There's some disturbing issues here. I'm convinced that lots of folks who attend churches never really think all that deeply about their faith. I hope you do. And if you do, um, you won't be troubled when I say to you, faith is hard. Uh, so hard, in fact, it takes a miracle to have it. In Ephesians 2, Paul writes, it is by grace, which is God's activity, that you have been saved. Through faith, though this is not from yourselves, even faith is a gift from God. It's something that God gives us. See, I remember when it first dawned on me as a pastor that there are lots of folks in the church that come to church because of the social dimension of it. They come because they want to belong to something, right? Right? And there's nothing wrong with that, but it does pose a problem. The problem it poses is that faith is more difficulty than belonging to a group. It's more difficult than that. And, and when, when faith is it really, a lot of times people have fake faith. Instead of faith, they have fake. And the problem, what that is, is, is a fake kind of faith is really just an easy believism. And we Westerners, we sort of applaud believism. I mean, even, you know, we're coming into the Christmas time. And you're going to see television shows and the movies that come out about Christmas. You know how it's, you know, we like it when kids believe in Santa Claus and we sort of encourage it. It's so sweet, you know, believing Santa Claus is such a sweet thing. And, and, but if those same believing kids try to stay up all night to catch Santa, it's gone over the line. Because we believe things and as long as it doesn't really impact how we live. We have a believism. There's loads of people who practice easy believism, never really thinking through the implications of their belief. And they encourage others to believe on the same basis. It's easy. Believe in Jesus. Accept Jesus as your Savior. Just say the prayer. That that's all there is to it. Really. See, that's a modern, almost really very American way of presenting the gospel as though it's some sort of a infomercial, that we just take Jesus into part of our lives, and that, that's just a simple thing. The, the longer I live with the intention of surrendering my life to a person that I cannot see, uh, the more I lean into the, to things that I believe that I cannot prove, and the more I realize it isn't very easy to do that. Um, don't misunderstand me. I mean, I'm in. I believe in God, the Father, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, who he sent. I believe he suffered. I believe he died. I believe he rose again. I buy into all of that. I believe that his coming again and that 
His kingdom will have no end. But the implications of those beliefs are staggering when you really think about it. And they mess with me. I, I think people who try to make it sound is easy, really just their faith just becomes a whole list of platitudes, a bunch of sweet statements that they don't really, really think about what they're saying. Classic example, this is 1 Corinthians 6. Paul writes, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? That your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Who is in you? God Almighty, He's in you, whom you have received from God. You're not, of your, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Now, what are the implications of that text? That, that God Almighty actually is indwelling the believer? That He's actually inside you? You know, when I chum around, even with Pastor Brent, you know, if I chum with him, I, I, always, I always, you know, on my best behavior, you know, I, I want to make sure that, you know, because he ups my heart and, and he, you know, he ups my, my sense of, of wanting to be full of integrity and wanting to make sure that I love God. I mean, people, there's certain people in my life that when I'm with them, it just, it's like they, something about them makes me want to be a better person, right? Well, certainly uh, when I look at a text like 1 Corinthians 6 and I take that text seriously, it messes with me because I think, wait a minute, I, I'm not just with Pastor Brent, I'm with God Almighty. But how in the world does He even get inside me? And how can He be inside me and me not feel Him? How can He be inside me and me not melt? I mean, is this just God is in you? I'll take a double latte. I mean, the very notion that God's inside you, it, I mean, it's, it seems hard to believe to me. And if I stop and I say, okay, okay, I'm, I'm going to dare to actually believe it, and I begin to ponder it, it turns from being this kind of flowery kind of concept, and, and it starts making me think, oh my gosh, what do I do now? I mean, if God's really inside me, that means He knows me. He knows the good, the bad, the ugly, the silly, the stupid the intention, and, and in some ways it's paralyzing. And yet when I know his story that he loves me in spite of how stupid I am, and he's not shocked by how stupid I am, he knows how stupid I am, how stupid I could have been, he still loves me. And all of a sudden it undoes me, and I start wanting to pray prayers like this one. This is one of my favorite prayers, and I pray this pretty much every day. Father, I abandon myself into your hands. Do with me what you will. Whatever you may do, I thank you. I'm ready for all. I accept all. Let only your will be done in me. I wish no more than this, Lord. Into your hands I commend my soul. I offer it to you with all the love of my heart, for I love you, Lord. And so I need to give myself, to surrender myself into your hands without reserve and with boundless confidence, for you are my Father. And, and, and so when I think about texts like this, it, it causes me to push into him. And it causes me to realize that he doesn't just see my actions. He knows my thoughts. But he doesn't just know my thoughts. He knows the intentions of my heart before their thoughts. When there's inclinations this way to envy, an inclination to pride, an inclination to lust, an inclination, he knows those inclinations. 
And they offend him when they're not right inclinations. And yet he stays there and abides in me in spite of how I offend him. And he welcomes me, not only welcomes me, commands me to come to him in the midst of my offense and just simply say, here's my heart. And, and if you dare to just plunge into one idea about God, it is disturbing indeed. Or consider this Bible claim. This is out of Psalm 50. This is, it says, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle, this is God speaking on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. It goes on. All it's simply saying is God owns it all. Which means you're just a steward. Everything you have, your children, your spouse, your business, your money, you're just a steward. And you will stand before God for everything that passes through your hands. And what does that mean? <laughs> does that really inform us? Or do we just say it because we're part of the club? See, this, this, is, this is not a concept for quiche eaters. This isn't a concept for people that want to just make this simple. This transcends simple believism. And then, and then contrary-wise, I mean, <laughs> when I drive by, you know, I was driving by uh, some a few months ago, Incredible Pizza, which is just across the mall down there. And, uh, and, 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 and there's this, the sign read, quote, faith is seeing what is invisible and believing what is impossible. Faith is seeing what is invisible and believing what is impossible. And I, I just couldn't help but wonder why such a profound statement was being used to advertise pizza. <laughs> really? I mean, I suspect, and this may be judgmental, I'll give you that, but sometimes I just feel anointed to be judgmental. Maybe it's the annoying, not the anointing. I get the annoying. And I couldn't help but think that that, that statement's not up there to communicate truth. That, that really, you know, that, that, that somehow faith is seeing what's invisible and believing what's impossible. But I, I, I kind of think that it's up there to communicate to us that the owners of that piece of place, that they're Christians. So we use platitudes to announce positions. They're boundary markers. Boundary markers are things like, you know, if I walked in here tonight, or you walked in a bar, and they've got jeans on, and cowboy boots, and cowboy hats, and big old buckles, and country music playing, where are you at? You're at a cowboy bar, Right? Or you walk in another bar and they've got, the guys have got big old black boots and tight leather whatevers and, uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, sort of muscle shirts and good tatted up and bandanas on and Harleys in the, uh, out, in the dry, out in the parking lot. Where are you at? Biker bar. See, they're boundary markers. They tell you where you are. And if you want to be a cowboy, all you need to do is get the buckle. Get the jeans, get the shoes, and get the hat. If you want to be a biker, all you need to do is get the Harley, get the boots, get the tight whatevers, throw a bandana on your head, and you're a biker. You're, in, you're an insider, man. It tells us you're an insider. See, the problem is, is that they're Christian boundary markers. They show us who's in, who's not in, whoever that is, tell them I'm almost done. 
tells who's in, who's not in. It tells us, you know, it, the point is, is that a lot of people don't get much deeper about their faith than just having boundary markers out there. Praise the Lord. Yeah, I'm a new creation in Christ. You know? Yeah, God lives in me. You know, faith moves mountains. He did you right, but deeper did Say, oh, you're a Christian. Well, good. Arr, arr. And the problem is there's not a lot of reflection, not a lot of pondering, not a lot of crisis. What you believe ought to cause you crisis. If you believe God is actually in you, that ought to freak you out a little. And every once in a while, when you're just walking around, even in the middle of the night on the way to the restroom, you ought to every once in a while stop and just bow and say, thank you for being right here. When you're getting angry or thinking something inappropriate, you'll say, oh, God, I am sorry. I just did that right in front of you. It ought to mess with you. It ought to disturb you. I mean... If you're a person who honestly reflects on this stuff we call faith, on these Bible verses that we're faced with, I mean, you're going to struggle. I mean, think about the issue of faith. I think about the issue of prayer. Uh, right now, I'm in a number of prayer projects. I always have these prayer projects going on. I have a list of them, and I pray into them every day. And one of them is, uh, it, it's kind of blowing my mind because God's presence is on it. And it's, it's, it's surprising it's, it's wonderful, and I was full of wonder. I wonder what's going on here. Something cool's happening here. Very sweet. And uh, another one of them is the exact opposite. Another one of our prayer projects is we've been trusting for something, and the exact opposite of what we've been trusting has happened. The exact opposite. And it's heartbreaking. And uh, so I'm troubled. I have to face the fact that that the God who gives us these open promises and invites us to trust him doesn't always keep them the way we think he should. And I feel tricked. And so I saw verses like Psalm 22 come to mind. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I know he hasn't forsaken me and I know I'm looking at it from a human side and I know I'm being silly on some levels. But I'm honestly offended that I've spent, invested so much time and if you read the Psalms, you see this over and over again. People who were trusting God, and yet when they trusted him, things didn't go the way they went. And they would say, God, why are you sleeping? How long will you not? Why won't you talk to us? Why won't you change this? They cried out to God because, because they loved him. And they knew he loved them. And they loved each other enough to be honest, just like a friend who's close enough that you can actually say, you really hurt me. People that aren't really close don't tell each other that. When you have a friend who's just a casual friend, they hurt you, you never really tell them. You just change the nature of the relationship and you just go on pretending it's okay. There's lots of Christians who never deal with their heart angst of what faith brings and so they live sort of superficial relationship with Jesus. Praise the Lord. But in their heart, they don't really trust him because they've trusted him and he didn't come through. It's better just be honest and say, God, you didn't come through. Why are you sleeping? Why didn't this happen? You know, you know God's bigger. You know God's smarter. You know God knows stuff we don't know. You're, you know that you, I mean, I always say this, but it's true. You know, Frank, my dog, who, you know, is going to go to hell. 
he gets some of the things I do. He understands that I'm going bye-bye or I want to go in bye-bye or go potty or food. You know, like he gets that stuff. But there's a lot of stuff that he doesn't understand because there's this huge gap between Frank and moi. There's this whole infinitude between us. So between created beings, there's that much distance. How much distance is there between us and the uncreated being? How much is ineffable, undescribable, indescribable that we don't understand? So I'm not saying that we really get it. When I say, God, why have you forsaken me? The Psalms are full of those kinds of statements. It doesn't mean they really weren't trusting him. It just meant they were just being honest about how they felt. But it's messy. Faith is messy. It's a relationship. It's being honest with God. Some of us don't feel close enough to God to be that way because we don't. We are used to eating incredible Jesus pizza. And so we come to church for Jesus pizza. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. This is why some people love Calvinism. So simple. God does everything. Don't have to think about it. Don't have to ponder it. Don't have to wrestle over it. The grass moves, God moved it. If people get healed, God did it. If God killed them, he killed them. It just, you know, God does everything. <laughs> video game time. God wanted me to play video games all day. It's a simple thing, just a covenant. Or then there's hyper faith. Everything's in my control. Just got to get more faith, more faith. Say it longer, say it harder. What are they trying to do? Eliminate the messiness. Make it simple. Put us in control. I think God designed faith to be messy. And it's so messy that most goody-two-shoes Christians can't dare to really admit it. And so we live by fake, not by faith. Presbyterian novelist Frederick Buchner, he wrote this, quote, Every morning you should wake up in your bed and ask yourself, Can I believe it all again today? At least five times out of ten, the answer should be no. Because the no is as important as the yes. Maybe more so. End quote. What? What? Why would he say that? Because faith is gnarly. One of my favorite writers, Soren Kierkegaard, dead guy. Here's one of his statements of faith. He said, faith is an objective uncertainty held fast in passionate inwardness. Let me read it again. Faith is an objective uncertainty <laughs> held fast in passionate inwardness. What's he saying? He, um, he, what he's basically saying is that it's, it, it's hard to be a Christian and that people who try to make it easy don't understand it. He's saying that, that unless it's so difficult that it freaks you out a little, in fact, the name of the book that, that, that I'm pulling this from is called Fear and Trembling. <laughs> He's talking about people that have faith ought to be shaken in their boots. It should make, it, 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 there ought to be something in you that screams, I don't know if I can believe this. That's honest with that. In one of his books, he tells a story about this guy named Yakovi. And uh, he's encountering this other fellow. His name is Lessing. They're actually real people, but it's being a fictitious story in his book. But Yakovi is encouraging this other guy, Lessing, to take a leap of faith. And this dude, Lessing, he complains that his legs are too weak. He can't do it. And so Yakovi keeps saying, no, you can do it. Come on, just trust the Lord. 
And Lessing refuses. So in Kierkegaard's book, he actually applauds and sides with Lessing for this. And he actually doesn't side with Jacobi because what he said was Kierkegaard is saying, and this is in complete agreement with Jesus and the New Testament writers, Kierkegaard was saying, faith is difficult. And you ought to be honest about it. If you don't have it, you ought to be honest that it's not there and you ought to crowd to God for it if you want it. It ought to freak you out. If it doesn't freak you out, maybe you're just looking for big belt buckles and jeans or driving Harley Davidsons. Maybe your faith is just being part of the club. What he's saying, what Kierkegaard is saying, is there's a place you have to wrestle with with issues of faith. It involves the mind, but it's deeper. And it's in the place where, where you and only you were there. Think about the time, think about when you die. I don't know if you ever think about it. It's a good thing to think about dying. The psalmist said, teach me to number my days so I can present to you wisdom, a heart of wisdom. But when you think, when you die, there may be a whole lot of people around you. Hopefully there will be people around you. But the reality is, no one else, everyone dies alone. You don't bring anybody with you through death. You die alone. And you will have to wrestle with that inside yourself. Inside a place that's too deep to share with any other human being, there's a place that you're going to have to die. Kierkegaard is saying, that's the place where faith is born the deepest interiority of your soul is where you decide to leap out of your own interiority. Who you are in that place is beyond description. And that is the place where you choose God. You choose to trust Him. Not to belong to a group. Not because you think you want to fit in. Not because even you think it's right. It's because you have considered it and in the angst that grows inside you between this looks true but it looks like it might not be true. I don't know if it's true or not true. Though it remains unresolved, you take a leap toward God. In the midst of the angst, though faith is hard, you take the leap toward it. And you know what the Bible says? It rewards you in all kinds of ways. In fact, let me give you three quick ones. Titus 3 says this, in a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. What he's saying is faith, when you actually hit faith, even though you're going through a wrestle, even though it doesn't make a lot of sense all the time, it is profitable to you. Because faith does things like help you get through the bad stuff that happens. <laughs> Scripture claims we're in a fallen world, a world that's less than what God intended it to be, and that it's less than what it will be one day. That means that the finger of fate often points the wrong finger at you. And life enters a real bad place. But here's the promise. Romans 8, 28. We know that God in all things works for the good to those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Faith, that leap of faith within. I, I, I'm telling you of all the people I've dealt with over the last 35 years of being in the trenches with people, that people that actually turn to God and trust him in the face of whatever's going on, see good start to come. This Journey of faith actually produces wonderful stuff. It's worth the wrestle. It's worth the struggle. Another thing it gives you, it helps you to be a better person. We all wrestle between who we are and who we want to believe we can be or who we want to be or who we could be. And most of us can't imagine, you know, that, you know, we can imagine the idea of, of change, but some of us, we, we, we wrestle saying, how in the world can we get there? 2 Corinthians 5 says, Therefore, if any person is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new has come. What he's really saying is, your life can be different. 
And every time you trust God and leap inside with the unknowings and deal and let faith mess with you, what ends up happening is your life starts being different. I mean, it doesn't necessarily be different overnight. Sometimes it's two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back, three steps forward, one step back, 12 steps back. And you go, oh, man. But you know what? You're still moving forward. And your life begins to change. Here's a beautiful thing. It'll be different. Philippians 1 says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And then the last thing is faith actually changes stuff around you. This is this famous text, Mark 11. Have faith in God. Have faith in who? In God. I was push into it even if it messes with you, even if there's uncertainty, you just push into it and you deal with it. You don't make it a platitude or a pizza thing. You make it a reality in your heart and you wrestle with it. And you say, God, I want to believe that you're actually in me. I don't know if I can believe that today, but I'm trying to believe that. I'm I'm leaping in my heart. It's, It's this objective uncertainty, but I'm passionate inwardly about running at it. And so you live by that kind of position. And all of a sudden, that's that faith in God. He says, I'll tell you the truth. If you say to this mountain, get, go throw yourself in the sea. You don't doubt in your heart. You believe what you're going to say is going to happen. It will happen. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe what you receive and it will be yours. What he's saying is faith changes stuff. Faith changes stuff. You don't have to be subject to everything in the world. In fact, in 1 John 5, it says, for everyone born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, even what? Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Faith is profitable. It's worth the wrestle. It's, but don't be faky about it, because all you're going to be is in the club, and nothing much will change. Your life won't change. Stuff around you won't change, and you'll just be an insider who knows all the language, but you won't have any power. I would love us to be a community that moves in real faith. So next time, uh, we're going to talk about what trusting God looks like, having faith in God to change things looks like, and uh, I hope you'll come. Let's stand together.